collection of 66 different books by around 40 different authors from many different backgrounds. There were kings and shepherds, soldiers, fishermen, doctors, poets and farmers. Some were young, some old, some rich, and some poor. And they wrote, each reflecting his own personality and style. From a wide variety of life circumstances. All the way from palace thrones and bedrooms. To the dungeons down in the palace basement. From seashores to mountaintops. And to the backsides of dry desert wastelands. In their books, the writers issued hundreds of specific future prophecies, all perfectly fulfilled or awaiting fulfillment. And they discuss every aspect of human life. Hundreds of complicated and controversial topics. And yet, there is a unity and consistency of message in the Bible, from start to finish, that is nothing short of miraculous. Throughout history and today, millions of people around the globe call this book the Holy Bible, the very Word of God. It claims to be a self-revelation of the Supreme Being, the Creator Himself, stepping out of eternity into time and space to tell us and show us what He is like, and to let us know His plan for our lives, here on earth and in the hereafter. Bible Live with Soapy Dollar is your chance to actually hear, discuss, and decide for yourself about this book, the Bible. Stay tuned, and at the very least, you'll hear the beauty, wisdom, romance, adventure, and intrigue of the world's greatest literature, the best-selling, most translated book of all history. But more importantly, God himself just might speak to your heart and change your life forever. Now, here's the host of The Bible Live, Selfie Dollar. All right, we are in the house. Thank you, folks, for joining us tonight. We are ready to continue our way through the book of Joshua. Last night, we read about the conquest of Jericho, the first major battle as they entered into the Promised Land. They're crossing the Jordan there on dry land. The manna ceased with their first observance of Passover. The manna that they had enjoyed for 40 years, I guess they had enjoyed it. I'm the kind of guy, meat and potatoes sort of guy, I could eat manna for 40 years. I'd probably just go with the program. Whatever's there is there. Other members of our family, whom I will not mention by name, are quite picky when they're eating. And so I don't know that they would be able to do that. But they had manna all of those years. That has ceased now as they have come in to the promised land. The Lord's covenant has been renewed. Before they entered in, they went through the ritual of circumcision. The men had not been doing that. Isn't that an amazing thought as well on the days before the battle? So they had this great victory over the city of Jericho. The city is destroyed. You remember Rahab, that subplot, that wonderful story of faith on the part of this woman, swept up in this tremendous story, not only the story of the people of Israel, but swept up into the redemptive plan and the redemptive narrative because she somehow is a believer in the true and living God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And she, because of her faith, her steps of faith, her obedience to God, not only is her life saved and becomes a person of prominence in the Jewish nation probably, but she is in the ancestry of Jesus, the Messiah himself. What an amazing development that was. We didn't mention the fact that Joshua invoked a curse on the city of Jericho, that anyone who tries to rebuild the city of Jericho, at the cost of his firstborn son, he will lay its foundation. At the cost of his youngest son, he will set up its gates. Over 500 years later, during the reign of Ahab, we'll read about it in First Kings 16, 
a man named Hiel lost his two sons as they tried to rebuild the city of Jericho. Well, all of that is in the past now. We are going to start with chapter 9 tonight. I'll give you a little bit of a heads up on that, what we'll be reading tonight when we come back from our Wisdom and Worship reading. Psalm 43 tonight is the Wisdom and Worship segment talking about hope in the time of discouragement. Our only hope is God himself. The Bible Life. Psalm 43. O God, take up my cause. Defend me against these ungodly people. Rescue me from these unjust liars. For you are God, my only safe haven. Why have you tossed me aside? Why must I wander around in darkness, oppressed by my enemies? Send out your light and your truth. Let them guide me. Let them lead me to your holy mountain, to the place where you live. There I will go to the altar of God, to God, the source of all my joy. I will praise you with my harp, O God, my God. Why am I discouraged? Why so sad? I will put my hope in God. I will praise Him again, my Savior and my God. End of reading, Psalm 43. We stand and lift up our hands For the joy of the Lord is our strength We bow down and worship Him now How great, how awesome is He And together we sing This is The Bible Live with Sophie Dollar. Holy is the Lord. Holy is the Lord. Holy, the word holy means set apart, entirely alone, unique, no one like the God of the Bible, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the true and living God. And he is indeed holy, not only set apart and unique, unlike any other, but totally pure in all of his ways. There is no shadow of darkness at all in any of his character. What a great, wonderful God. Remember, these are prayers, and not every attitude that David had is right. The thing I like about the Psalms is that it's just David bearing his heart, telling God what he really thinks, what he really feels, and it doesn't necessarily mean that that particular attitude or all of that attitude is right, but they're called penitential Psalms. He calls of God to judge his enemies. It's not a call for personal vengeance. And yes, I think we can pray that way as well, but we always have to remember that it's God who will deal with them, not us personally. My wife, Suzanne, and I were talking about this the other day. Almost all of the people of the Bible, whether it's Old or the New Testament, in fact, now I'm not talking about the major characters who were personally and directly involved, privy to the special revelation that God gave to humanity, but the great masses of humanity, the only light they had was the light of general revelation of the sun, the moon, the stars, the seasons, the cool breeze, the animal kingdom, the plant life, seeing God's handiwork and extrapolating from that what we could know about God, his power, his creativity, his intelligence, his benevolence toward us. Most of the world, their response to God was based on the light of natural revelation, general revelation. 
And then we have this special where God stepped into time and space. He's dealing with the people of Israel now as they come into promised land. They're going to be deceived tonight by the Gibeonites, but then they're going to go into battle against the southern armies, five armies that join against them, and then armies in the north. We will see this dual strategy that the people of Israel adopt under Joshua's leadership lead them to great victory during the seven years of war to conquer the promised Joshua land. Joshua 9, one through 12.24. Joshua 9. Now all the kings west of the Jordan heard about what had happened. These were the kings of the Hittites, Amorites, Canaanites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites who lived in the hill country in the western foothills and along the coast of the Mediterranean Sea as far north as the Lebanon Mountains. These kings quickly combined their armies to fight against Joshua and the Israelites. But when the people of Gibeon heard what had happened to Jericho and Ai, they resorted to deception to save themselves. They sent ambassadors to Joshua, loading their donkeys with weathered saddlebags and old patched wineskins. They put on ragged clothes and worn out patched sandals and they took along dry, moldy bread for provisions. When they arrived at the camp of Israel at Gilgal, they told Joshua and the men of Israel, We have come from a distant land to ask you to make a peace treaty with us. The Israelites replied to these Hivites, How do we know you don't live nearby? For if you do, we cannot make a treaty with you. They replied, We will be your servants. But who are you? Joshua demanded. Where do you come from? They answered, We are from a very distant country. We have heard of the might of the Lord your God and of all he did in Egypt. We have also heard what he did to the two Amorite kings east of the Jordan River, King Sihon of Heshbon and King Og of Bashan, who lived in Ashtaroth. So our leaders and our people instructed us, Prepare for a long journey. Go meet with the people of Israel and declare our people to be their servants and ask for peace. This bread was hot from the ovens when we left, but now, as you can see, it is dry and moldy. These wineskins were new when we filled them, but now they are old and cracked, and our clothing and sandals are worn out from our long, hard trip. So the Israelite leaders examined their bread, but they did not consult the Lord. Then Joshua went ahead and signed a peace treaty with them, and the leaders of Israel ratified their agreement with a binding oath. Three days later the facts came out. These people of Gibeon lived nearby. The Israelites set out at once to investigate and reached their towns in three days. The names of these towns were Gibeon, Kephira, Beeroth, and Kiriath-Jearim. But the Israelites did not attack the towns, for their leaders had made a vow to the Lord, the God of Israel. The people of Israel grumbled against their leaders because of the treaty. But the leaders replied, We have sworn an oath in the presence of the Lord, the God of Israel. We cannot touch them. We must let them live. For God would be angry with us if we broke our oath. Let them live, but we will make them chop the wood and carry the water for the entire community. So the Israelites kept their promise to the Gibeonites. But Joshua called together the Gibeonite leaders and said, Why did you lie to us? Why did you say that you live in a distant land when you live right here among us? May you be cursed. From now on you will chop wood and carry water for the house of my God. They replied, We did it because we were told that the Lord your God instructed his servant Moses to conquer this entire land and destroy all the people living in it. So we feared for our lives because of you. That is why we have done it. Now we are at your mercy. Do whatever you think is right. You're listening to The Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. 
Joshua did not allow the people of Israel to kill them. But that day he made the Gibeonites the woodchoppers and water carriers for the people of Israel and for the altar of the Lord, wherever the Lord would choose to build it. That arrangement continues to this day. Joshua 10. Now Adoni Zedek, king of Jerusalem, heard that Joshua had captured and completely destroyed Ai and killed its king, just as he had destroyed the city of Jericho and killed its king. He also learned that the Gibeonites had made peace with Israel and were now their allies. He and his people became very afraid when they heard all this because Gibeon was a large city, as large as the royal cities and larger than Ai, and the Gibeonite men were mighty warriors. So King Adoni Zedek of Jerusalem sent messengers to several other kings, Hoham of Hebron, Piram of Jarmuth, Japhia of Lachish, and Debir of Eglon. Come and help me destroy Gibeon, he urged them, for they have made peace with Joshua and the people of Israel. So these five Amorite kings combined their armies for a united attack. They moved all their troops into place and attacked Gibeon. The men of Gibeon quickly sent messengers to Joshua at Gilgal. Don't abandon your servants now, they pleaded. Come quickly and save us, for all the Amorite kings who live in the hill country have come out against us with their armies. So Joshua and the entire Israelite army left Gilgal and set out to rescue Gibeon. Do not be afraid of them, the Lord said to Joshua, for I will give you victory over them. Not a single one of them will be able to stand up to you. Joshua traveled all night from Gilgal and took the Amorite armies by surprise. The Lord threw them into a panic, and the Israelites slaughtered them in great numbers at Gibeon. Then the Israelites chased the enemy along the road to Beth Horon and attacked them at Azekah and Makeda, killing them along the way. As the Amorites retreated down the road from Beth Horon, the Lord destroyed them with a terrible hailstorm that continued until they reached Azekah. The hail killed more of the enemy than the Israelites killed with the sword. On the day the Lord gave the Israelites victory over the Amorites, Joshua prayed to the Lord in front of all the people of Israel. He said, Let the sun stand still over Gibeon, and the moon over the valley of Aijalon. So the sun and moon stood still until the Israelites had defeated their enemies. Is this event not recorded in the book of Jashar? The sun stopped in the middle of the day, and it did not set as on a normal day. The Lord fought for Israel that day. Never before or since has there been a day like that one when the Lord answered such a request from a human being. Then Joshua and the Israelite army returned to their camp at Gilgal. During the battle, the five kings escaped and hid in a cave in Makeda. When Joshua heard that they had been found, he issued this command, Cover the opening of the cave with large rocks, and place guards at the entrance to keep the kings inside. The rest of you continue chasing the enemy and cut them down from the rear. Don't let them get back to their cities, for the Lord your God has given you victory over them. So Joshua and the Israelite army continued the slaughter and wiped out the five armies except for a tiny remnant that managed to reach their fortified cities. Then the Israelites returned safely to their camp at Makeda. After that, no one dared to speak a word against Israel. Then Joshua said, Remove the rocks covering the opening of the cave and bring the five kings to me. So they brought the five kings out of the cave, the kings of Jerusalem, Hebron, Jarmuth, Lachish, and Eglon. Joshua told the captains of his army, Come and put your feet on the king's necks. And they did as they were told. Don't ever be afraid or discouraged, Joshua told his men. Be strong and courageous, for the Lord is going to do this to all of your enemies. Then Joshua killed each of the five kings and hung them on five trees until evening. As the sun was going down, 
Joshua gave instructions for the bodies of the kings to be taken down from the trees and thrown into the cave where they had been hiding. Then they covered the opening of the cave with a large pile of stones, which remains to this very day. You're listening to The Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. That same day, Joshua completely destroyed the city of Makeda, killing everyone in it, including the king. Not one person in the city was left alive. He killed the king of Makeda as he had killed the king of Jericho. Then Joshua and the Israelites went to Libna and attacked it. There, too, the Lord gave them the city and its king. They slaughtered everyone in the city and left no survivors. Then Joshua killed the king of Libna just as he had killed the king of Jericho. From Libna, Joshua and the Israelites went to Lachish and attacked it, and the Lord gave it to them on the second day. Here, too, the entire population was slaughtered, just as at Libna. During the attack on Lachish, King Haram of Gezer had arrived with his army to help defend the city. But Joshua's men killed him and destroyed his entire army. Then Joshua and the Israelite army went to Eglon and attacked it. They captured it in one day, and as at Lachish, they completely destroyed everyone in the city. After leaving Eglon, they attacked Hebron, capturing it and all of its surrounding towns. And just as they had done at Eglon, they completely destroyed the entire population. Not one person was left alive. Then they turned back and attacked Debir. They captured the city, its king, and all of its surrounding villages, and they killed everyone in it, leaving no survivors. They completely destroyed Debir, just as they had destroyed Libna and Hebron. So Joshua conquered the whole region, the kings and people of the hill country, the Negev, the western foothills, and the mountain slopes. He completely destroyed everyone in the land, leaving no survivors, just as the Lord, the God of Israel, had commanded. Joshua slaughtered them from Kadesh Barnea to Gaza and from Goshen to Gibeon. In a single campaign, Joshua conquered all these kings and their land, for the Lord, the God of Israel, was fighting for his people. Then Joshua and the Israelite army returned to their camp at Gilgal. Joshua 11 When King Jabin of Hazor heard what had happened, he sent urgent messages to the following kings, King Jobab of Madon, the king of Shimron, the king of Akshaf, all the kings of the northern hill country, the kings in the Jordan Valley south of Galilee, the kings in the western foothills, the kings of Naphoth-dor on the west, the kings of Canaan both east and west, the kings of the Amorites, the kings of the Hittites, the kings of the Perizzites, the kings in the Jebusite hill country, and the Hivites in the towns on the slopes of Mount Hermon in the land of Mizpah. All these kings responded by mobilizing their warriors and uniting to fight against Israel. Their combined armies, along with a vast array of horses and chariots, covered the landscape like the sand on the seashore. They established their camp around the water near Merom to fight against Israel. Then the Lord said to Joshua, Do not be afraid of them. By this time tomorrow they will all be dead. Cripple their horses and burn their chariots. So Joshua and his warriors traveled to the water near Merom and attacked suddenly, and the Lord gave them victory over their enemies. The Israelites chased them as far as Great Sidon and Misrephoth Maim, and eastward into the valley of Mizpah, until not one enemy warrior was left alive. Then Joshua crippled the horses and burned all the chariots, as the Lord had instructed. Joshua then turned back and captured Hazor and killed its king. Hazor had at one time been the capital of the federation of all these kingdoms. The Israelites completely destroyed every living thing in the city. Not a single person was spared, and then Joshua burned the city. Joshua slaughtered all the other kings and their people, completely destroying them, just as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded.
However, Joshua did not burn any of the cities built on mounds except Hazor. And the Israelites took all the captured goods and cattle of the ravaged cities for themselves, but they killed all the people. As the Lord had commanded his servant Moses, so Moses commanded Joshua. And Joshua did as he was told, carefully obeying all of the Lord's instructions to Moses. You're listening to The Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. So Joshua conquered the entire region, the hill country, the Negev, the land of Goshen, the western foothills, the Jordan Valley, and the mountains and lowlands of Israel. The Israelite territory now extended all the way from Mount Halak, which leads up to Seir, to Baal God at the foot of Mount Hermon in the valley of Lebanon. Joshua killed all the kings of those territories, waging war for a long time to accomplish this. No one in this region made peace with the Israelites except the Hivites of Gibeon. All the others were defeated. For the Lord hardened their hearts and caused them to fight the Israelites instead of asking for peace. So they were completely and mercilessly destroyed, as the Lord had commanded Moses. During this period, Joshua destroyed all the descendants of Anak, who lived in the hill country of Hebron, Debir, Anab, and the entire hill country of Judah and Israel. He killed them all and completely destroyed their towns. Not one was left in all the land of Israel, though some still remained in Gaza, Gath, and Ashdod. So Joshua took control of the entire land, just as the Lord had instructed Moses. He gave it to the people of Israel as their special possession, dividing the land among the tribes. So the land finally had rest from war. Joshua 12. These are the kings east of the Jordan River who had been killed and whose land was taken. Their territory extended from the Arnon Gorge to Mount Hermon and included all the land east of the Jordan Valley. King Sihon of the Amorites, who lived in Heshbon, was defeated. His kingdom included Aroer, on the edge of the Arnon Gorge and extended from the middle of the Arnon Gorge to the Jabbok River, which serves as a boundary for the Ammonites. This territory included half of the present area of Gilead, which lies north of the Jabbok River. Sihon also controlled the Jordan Valley as far north as the western shores of the Sea of Galilee and as far south as the Dead Sea, from Beth Jeshimoth to the slopes of Pisgah. King Og of Bashan, the last of the Rephaites, lived at Ashtaroth and Edrei. He ruled a territory stretching from Mount Hermon to Selika in the north and to all of Bashan in the east and westward to the boundaries of the kingdoms of Geshur and Maacah. His kingdom included the northern half of Gilead, the other portion of which was in the territory of King Sihon of Heshbon. Moses, the servant of the Lord, and the Israelites had destroyed the people of King Sihon and King Og, and Moses gave their land to the tribes of Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh. The following is a list of the kings Joshua and the Israelite armies defeated on the west side of the Jordan, from Baal God in the valley of Lebanon to Mount Halak, which leads up to Seir. Joshua allotted this land to the tribes of Israel as their inheritance, including the hill country, the western foothills, the Jordan Valley, the mountain slopes, the Judean wilderness, and the Negev. The people who lived in this region were the Hittites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. These are the kings Israel defeated. The king of Jericho, the king of Ai near Bethel, the king of Jerusalem, the king of Hebron, the king of Jarmuth, the king of Lachish, the king of Eglon, the king of Gezer, the king of Debir, the king of Geder, the king of Hormah, the king of Arad, the king of Libna, the king of Adullam, the king of Makeda, the king of Bethel, the king of Tapua, the king of Hefer, the king of Aphek, the king of Lasheron, the king of Madon, the king of Hazor, the king of Shimron Meron, the king of Akshaf, the king of Taanach, the king of Megiddo, the king of Kedesh, the king of Jokneam in Carmel, 
the king of Dor in the city of Naphoth-Dor, the king of Goyim in Gilgal, the king of Terzah. In all, 31 kings and their cities were destroyed. End of reading, Joshua 9.1 through 12.24. You're listening to The Bible Live with Sophie Dollar. Welcome back to the Bible Live from the book of Joshua, the experiences of the leader and the people of Israel as they go into the promised land. There's about seven to eight years of full out battle. They continue on for about 15 or 20 years, the mop up activities to finish the conquest of the promised land. And all the book of Joshua covers 25 to 30 years of the conquest and then the occupation of the promised land. It was war. Men and women were being killed. Attacks were made. This was not play battle. People are killed. Things get broken. There was some strategy involved as Joshua enters, conquers the city of Jericho and Ai. The modern town of El Jeb, if you go to Israel today, is the site of Gibeon. They were only about nine miles northwest of Jericho, actually, but they deceived the people of Israel to make it look like they came from far away and they saved their lives. There's another little bit of drama about them that happened in the book of Second Samuel, chapter 21. Four or five hundred years later, because of the actions of Saul and his sons, they killed many of the Gibeonites. And that is wrong because of the vow that was made at this time under Joshua. David, in Second Samuel chapter 21, has to make up for this injustice that is done to the Gibeonites. Well, that is the first half of the book of Joshua. These first 12 chapters cover the conquest, about seven years of battle. And now the second half of the book will be talking about how they occupy the land. They are to finish driving out the other people groups of the land, those who worship false gods, pagan gods, and idolatry, and so on. I wanted to return just quickly to Rusty's question about prayer. Can we rant and rave against God? And, and you know, Obviously, we want to be respectful toward God and loving toward God, but at the same time, God does seem to welcome our sincerity and honesty. David often says, God, why do you do this, and why that, and why the other? Now, sometimes I come back and say, Lord, I'm sorry I doubted you. Forgive me for that. But I think God does want our sincerity. Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. Soapy reads from the New Living Translation by Tyndale House Publishers. The Bible Live is dedicated to helping promote spiritual revival across America. And your financial support is needed. Please mail your tax-deductible gift to The Bible Live, Post Office Box 18888. That's The Bible Live. P.O. Box 18888, San Antonio, Texas, 78218. You may also make credit card donations at the ministry website, thebiblelive.com. Now don't forget, join us each weekday for The Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. Start today, and in one year's time, we will read and respond together to the entire Bible. Let the most important word you hear each day be God's Word. 